This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. As you remember, every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or the legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today we're out here in lovely Newport Beach, California, at the Ringler Associates annual meeting, and I must say it's quite a respite from that snowy northeast I came from. And we're going to be taping uh, part two today of our Settlement Trust Show. Now, last time we talked about what a settlement trust was, how it works, and how a structured settlement annuity can be used in conjunction with a trust. And to help me do all that, my co-host today is one of my favorite colleagues, Bill Wakeley, who is our settlement annuity specialist in our Ringler Philadelphia office. Bill has uh, over 15 years of claims management, financial, and structured settlement experience and has been involved in the negotiation and settlement of all types of claims using structured settlements. Well, welcome back to the program, Bill. Thanks, Larry. It's good, good to be here. Good to be into some warm weather. I know. These people, uh, I think they're spoiled out here. I think they are. They don't, they don't get the snow and the ice like we do. That's right. Our special guest today on today's program is uh, also making a return visit, and that's David J. Cover, who is a senior vice president, trust and investment services for People's Bank. David has been in the trust and investment field since 1986, and uh, we certainly enjoyed his visit last time. And again, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, Larry. Terrific. Well, let's start off by uh, discussing what you and Bill have witnessed when it comes to common issues associated with these settlement trusts. What's, what's, what are some of those common things that you've found on the settlement trust arena, Bill, that uh, as you've been using these? Well, I guess we could we could start out with some, some basics, uh, Larry, and maybe I'll let David kind of run with this. And, and I always look at advantages and disadvantages of using a particular product or or a particular way of using a product within an industry. So, David, are there any disadvantages, really, to using structured settlements in conjunction with, with, a, with a settlement trust? Uh, I don't see any disadvantages. And one of the challenges, I think, is finding a trustee who fully understands the uh, benefits of using structured settlements in trusts and uh, can accommodate the needs of both the uh, claimants and the defendants in each case. Interesting. Well, what are you, what are you hearing about the, uh, the common reasons for people to put settlement monies into these trusts? Well, quite often, uh, the most obvious one that we hear of are our special needs trusts, where you have people mm-hmm. receiving uh, SSI and Medicaid benefits, so you want to try to preserve those. But we also see other issues where there are um, questions regarding the status of the, the beneficiary's ability to maintain and preserve those funds. So having a trust, uh, what we often would call a settlement preservation trust, can mm-hmm. put some strings to the money that can help people um, have that money last them their entire lifetime. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we see, we often come across, uh, you know, cases that although they're not catastrophic in nature, uh, they still involve a significant amount of money. For example, maybe less than $500,000, okay? Those are, we see a lot of those kinds of cases. But there are a lot of trust banks out there with very high minimums uh, required to open up the account, and sometimes it's over a million dollars I've seen. Uh, 
and they can be problematic for these claimants because they may need a trust to manage their funds, yet you know they, they can't find one. So how do you deal with some of those smaller case issues? There are a number of ways to, to deal with that, Larry. One of the things that people commonly ask me as a professional trustee is, what is your minimum account size? And, and I, my frequent answer is, we don't have a minimum account size. It's our minimum annual fee that really dictates whether using a trust product is feasible or not. On the very low end, you do have a lot of people receiving SSI and Medicaid, and they may only have a, a small settlement, say below 100000 or something like that. There are a number of pooled trusts around the country that are available to accommodate a special needs trust when someone only has thirty or $40,000 in initial cash or something like that. But they can usually accommodate the structure as well. Um, but in addition to that, what I often, uh, an example that I often think about is one of, well, there are many very large national trust organizations that have a very high minimum annual fee. Uh, one that comes to mind, their minimum annual fee is, uh, is $12,500. So that implies that assuming an average fee of 125 basis points, that their minimum account size is a million dollars. I believe that with some of those national organizations, you could potentially persuade them to take a smaller trust, provided you're still willing to, or your client is still willing to pay that 12,000 or 12,500 minimum fee. Um, In order to get that done, it's going to require the structure broker and or the plaintiff attorney to have a real strong working relationship with the key people in that trust organization. Uh, But the rule of thumb that I use when looking at a minimum fee and whether or not a trust is feasible is I try to make sure that the out-of-pocket expenses in terms of the trustee's fee don't exceed 200 basis points. So for example, if a bank has a minimum fee of $2,500, and uh, then that might imply that uh, a trust of, of as small as, say, 125000 mm-hmm. might be feasible, provided that it accomplishes the, the objectives for the client. And what, what would you, how would you, particularly in your bank, handle, a, let's say, a case that was 250000 or 500000 Are you are you willing to take on cases of those small sizes? I know you're talking generally, but yeah. how about your own, your own situation? I, absolutely. I think one of the key things is to, to look at um, the capability of the trustee. Uh, a lot of community banks around the country just don't have a lot of experience in working with special needs trusts or in the settlement trust area. We look at those and call those de- declining balance trusts. And I think we talked about that in the last yeah, show. Yeah, we did. We did. Where that tr- you know, the money that funds that trust is the last paycheck those people will ever see. And so we, it's important to find a trustee that understands the complications that uh, surround that sort of environment. And uh, also... A $250,000 trust struck and then funded with a, a regular structure can be very viable and feasible and not very difficult for us to manage or, or really any experienced uh, trustee. So, so in a $500,000 scenario, you could we could literally fund or seed the trust with 250, structure the other 250 and let it flow in and everybody wins. Exactly. And, and Bill might have some light 
to shed is I don't really know what the ideal ratio between struck, uh, trust and structure would be. But in a case like that, like you said, if it's 500000 and half of the, the settlement goes into the trust and half in the structure, that might be appropriate. In a larger settlement, it might be two-thirds structure, one-third trust. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. And, and obviously, it depends on the case situation and, and what we're looking at. But if we kind of take this to the other end of, of, the, of the scale, uh, David, we obviously, Larry and I and our whole industry, obviously run into uh, large catastrophic cases all the time as well, uh, specifically, you know, medical malpractice cases where, you know, a very young child is the injured party, um, which often requires a lifetime of medical care. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of the, the wild card. We don't know what that lifetime means. Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? Is it 50 years? Um, so we often see a trust and a structure in these cases. Can you just maybe take a minute to... To, to walk us through the, the logistics of, of how that works, how the trust handles the upfront cash that goes into the trust, um, how, the, how it handles the structure payments coming into the trust on, on a monthly basis usually, and then how it, how it handles the expenses mm-hmm. that get paid out over, you know, on a daily basis. Sure. We, first of all, we look at that structure as a key component of the fixed income portfolio of the trust. So while let's 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 go to the million dollar trust since those are numbers that we can all um, identify with in a pretty easy easy way if you fund the trust with half a million and half of them the other half goes into a structure well we're already starting out with five hundred thousand dollars allocated to fixed income even right. though the trust balance itself is only five hundred thousand but one of the things that we like to do with with upfront uh, cash is we look we take a very conservative approach um, from a from an investment standpoint, what I found is, and, and, and I'm sure you all would know that when you look at life care plans, the cash flow needs are very great in the early years of a trust being funded. So we will try to invest much more conservatively um, in years one, two, and possibly even three by maybe, even though our targeted asset allocation might be 60 stocks or and 40% bonds or even 70 if it's a very young child, we may only start with a 20% equity allocation. One thought about justifying that is just seeing what's happened in the securities markets recently. Absolutely. Uh, we have just come off of a 60-month-long bull market that started in 2002 and was uh, running and roaring through October of 2007, yes, where, we, was. <laughs> where we just saw a really uh, tremendous growth in the securities markets. Um, and during that time, um, a lot of investment advisors were probably very aggressive in investing settlement proceeds. But if when you look at your business, Bill, I'm sure you had many cases that were in the works um, throughout the summer of 2007 that may have finally settled and funded. And in some of those cases, you may not have gotten the structure and they instead went to a financial advisor or a stockbroker or some other financial services firm. Somebody who's not experienced with working with the catastrophically ill and injured would probably go straight into that 40 or 50 or 60% equity mix. From October of 2007 till today, we've seen a 15% decline in the stock market. So you have a case where you know how many years sometimes it is that it takes to see uh, one of these cases finally come to settlement and fund, only to see anywhere from 5 to 10 or even 15% of that settlement evaporate in three months. And so it's really hard to recover from that. So uh, we start conservatively, and we like to wait, and I, I like to use the term, understand what the rhythm of the cash flows are. You know, uh, it's going to... 
we don't actually hit the full stride of that life care plan until we're a year or two into it. So once we sort of understand how that trust is going to function and operate, then we're really ready to go to more towards our targeted asset allocation. Well, you know, I think what's happened in the recent you know, uh, few months with the way the markets have taken a dive and uh, the subprime mortgages mm-hmm. have, have caused markets all around the world to, to be affected, those who were conservative in some of their allocations are going to be the winners here. And those of us who put our claimants that, that we deal with in structured settlements, for example, are going to be winners, especially with the tax-free nature of what we do. But I find that uh, a lot of the lawyers who were very aggressive and wanting to take more cash and do other things with it that, that were aggressive, as you said, David, uh, are now coming and saying, I, I wish we had put more into the structure. So I think to the extent that we have had the downturn in the markets, I think ultimately it's going to help our business. People are going to recognize, and probably your business as well, recognize the value of good management and conservative allocations as we move forward. Exactly. And one of the big competitors of the structured settlement industry when you're talking to a financial advisor would be the municipal bond market. And what we have seen in recent months are uh, the difficulties that some of the key municipal bond insurers have gone through. MBIA is one of the biggest ones. And, and you know, there are a lot of concerns in the municipal bond market about uh, the insurers being able to back up those bonds in the event of a default. And there's a lot of nervousness around the bond market right now. With, and even though most municipal bonds are not going to have subprime issues, but in a tangential way, they may. And some may be called, right? I mean, some may be called early. Well, exactly. And for for me to uh, get a, a municipal bond paying even three to three and a quarter percent right now, I'm going out 20, 30 years. And so that's a highly volatile security when you're looking at a maturity like that. And um, the likelihood of a low uh, a low interest rate bond like that getting called is is very 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 low. So. Well, you know, you brought up a good point, uh, both both Larry and David here about kind of knowing who your audience is. You know, and we've talked about this before, Larry, in our unique investor class. I mean, you know, if this is a trust that's that's delineated for a particular purpose, you know, it, you know, taking care of an injured party for a long period of time, that has to drive the investment philosophy not only on the structured settlement side but on the trust side as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I note, and you, it's interesting you brought up the municipal bonds, David, because to get the kind of 3% return you're talking about going out 20, 30 years, one thing structures do, we're, we're up in the 4s and 5% tax-free. Exactly. Getting this, you're using that same time frame. So it, it, it's really going to, you know, show much more clearly the distinction and, and differentiation of some of these investment pools and classes. What about the fact that uh, structure payments coming into the trust are uh, are tax free? Now, how how does that uh, how does that affect the way the trust handles them? Obviously, the rate of return on a tax free basis is 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 good, uh, and then you're going to take that money and probably reinvest it to some extent. So you're really going to piggyback on some of those uh, rates of return. Yeah, trusts are governed by a, a, a law that's referred to as the Principal and Income Act, and every state has their own. But there are some just generalities that are followed. And the income that is represented from the structure is posted to the income account for the benefit of the income beneficiary. And, of course, the upfront cash is the corpus or the principal, if we use a legal term. And I like to look at the uh, the trust. You know, sometimes people can understand better how traditional accounting might work. And so the, uh, the principal might be 
account could be similar to in a corporation retained earnings, for example. And that's and then the um, you, you think about a business using their working capital and keeping that liquid. And the structure in this case is sort of the working capital of the trust. So the structure comes in on a tax-free basis and we make disbursements, um, most of which are often for medical needs. But we keep that money invested in a short-term investment vehicle like a money market fund. And if we have excess funds in the income account at the end of the fiscal year or the taxable year, what we will often do then is transfer that money over to the corpus. In other words, Mm -hmm. put it in retained earnings to reinvest for the growth of the, quote, corporation or the trust. It's the same sort of concept as the corporate accounting world is is any any excess income at the end of the year then gets reinvested in in capital. And it, it really helps preserve the longevity of a trust in the years that you have excess income so that in future years when you may have excess expenses, you have that money that's continuing to work and grow well, for that, you. That brings up a, a really good point, um, David. And I wanted to just touch on this if I could for, for a minute or two. The relationship between those structure payments coming into the trust versus the medical expenses going out. And, and, and again, trying to keep it simple, you know, let's say we have $10,000, let's say we have a life care plan that we've, we've structured, you know, that, that, that Larry or whoever has, has put together a plan that says, okay, this, this is a $10,000 life care plan, um, per month in expenses that are going to be, be have, you know, have to be taken care of for this child. And, it, is it more advantageous to have that ten grand coming into the trust tax free every month, and then those expenses of of let's say to keep it simple ten grand a month going out? And and how does that work with the deductions and the tax advantage to the trust? Well, trusts prepare a tax return, so form ten forty one. It's it's not much like your personal return, but the concept is similar. And that is um, when a trust return is prepared, the character of the income moves with the direction the income goes. So we have tax-free income coming from a structure into the trust, and at the end of the year, then that would pass out with the distributions. In other words, it's tax-free going in, so there's no taxable um, event going out to the beneficiaries. I know there's sometimes the argument that um, if I put all of the money into a brokerage account, for example, I can deduct the uh, medical expenses. Um, the medical expense deduction, of course, is limited to seven on an individual to seven and a half percent of their modified AGI, and that uh, is a modified AGI takes in a lot of things into consideration. If they're investing in municipal bonds, um, a lot of municipal bonds are are still subject to the alternative minimum tax, and in a lot of these cases, these people have very little or no taxable income anyway. So preserving that medical expense deduction is really of no benefit. On the trust side, there are still many uh, deductions available that are taken from the trust first prior to passing taxable income out to the beneficiary, things like trustees' fees. Um, until recently, we can inv- deduct investment advisory fees, although there's been a recent change in that that's um, going to have some, some uh, effect on our industry. Um, and also, you know, taxes and other expenses. Medical expenses per se are not available um, as an itemized deduction on a trust return. But there are a number of others that have what is just a two percent floor for the AGI, and uh, trust income generally is a lot lower. But what we see is in most of these trusts, there's very little net taxable income um, that needs to be passed out to these individuals. So, to let the tax tail wag, wag the dog is really not. Um, 
an efficient way to uh, make your decision. Right, unless it's a tax-free decision. That's right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great that, decision. That's an me. easy decision. You know, yeah. you know, David. One of the things we often hear from trust banks, and we hear that in some sometimes in, in stories from cases that we've handled, is that the trust the trust uh, officer wants all the money. They want to keep it all because the more that's in the corpus, the more they're going to make in terms of fees. And uh, how does that make you feel as a, as a trust banker? I must give you a little uh, pause. Well, I cringe a little bit, and 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 I guess that's because I understand. Um, and our business is so unique, and that is that we have uh, 180 trusts that have structures flowing into them. So the structure is not an unusual um, vehicle for us. But just uh, just last week, I was speaking with a colleague of mine, and. Um, he was bragging about the latest $3 million special needs trust that he got. And um, his quote was, yeah, some guy wanted to put all that money or some of that money into into an annuity. And he sort of chuckled about it. And I, I of course, knew exactly what type of an annuity he was talking about. And um, it was clear to me that uh, the, the guy that wanted to do the annuity was a structure broker. Um, it might have been in your market, Bill. I don't know. <laughs> and... Um, but the trust officer really did his client a disservice, um, bordering on the on the line of malpractice, I think, because with a settlement that large, the trust officer could have easily taken a million or million five type uh, trust mm-hmm. and had a healthy structure coming into a tax free. Because now he has all of those that 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 burden of of managing that money in a way that. Um, is going to last a lifetime with no guarantees. Yeah, that, w- that would have been a win-win. You're right. You're right. And, you, you know, you just kind of actually touched upon my next question, which you, you partially answered, is, is do you see a lot of attorneys actually getting wrong information from either their tax advisors or their or their trust advisors? And, and maybe wrong isn't isn't the right word, but maybe skewed or incomplete advice. Well, I, I, I'd have to say that that has to be accurate. Um, you know, I've been in the trust business for over 20 years, and I never saw a structure for the first 15. And I had been, <laughs> I, I had been with uh, say no more. Yeah. four or five different trust organizations as a result of bank mergers and everything else, and never saw a single one. So I don't think my experience is unique, I think. And then you get outside of the trust world and you get into the individual independent financial advisor, the brokers and the registered reps out sure. there, um, they're, they're directly competing with you. And, and we, we've all heard of those cases where they get the, the client to turn down the structure and then the broker puts them into a non-qualified annuity that is taxable. Now you're, <laughs> now you're making me cringe. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't want anyone here to cringe too much. So what we'll do is let's take a very short break, and uh, we'll hear from some of the folks that make Ringler Radio a reality, and we'll be right back in a minute. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free. 
at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen. And again, I'd like to welcome back my co-host, Bill Wakeley, and our very special guest, David Cover from People's Bank. David, one thing I wanted to discuss real quickly, if we could, um, is special needs trusts. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a broad area, but just to be real specific, is it true that people with disabilities are living longer, number one? And if so, how does that affect the special needs trust industry? Yeah, they are living longer. I, I recall seeing a statistic recently where the average person with disabilities is living well into their 60s. And uh, the special needs trust law didn't even exist until the early 90s, I think around 1993. But what we're seeing is with groups like the Special Needs Alliance, and um, the newly formed Academy of Special Needs Planners that uh, they're having their second annual conference coming up here very soon is that the need for uh, planning for individuals with those sorts of of, uh, disabilities is just a huge and growing industry. And uh, there's a an ever-increasing need for special needs trust for people in, in all stages of, of life and, and disability. Well, that speaks to the whole area of education about trust and what people should know about trust. And I'm sure you, you have a lot of areas of communication, things that you're doing uh, out, not just with People's Bank, but around the country to try to educate people into how best to manage their money and to utilize trust. David, what uh, what advice would you give our listeners out there who find themselves, you know, they're searching for answers when it comes to trust. How do you how do you communicate with people to tell them how what trusts are all about? What are you doing to help alleviate that lack of knowledge? Uh, it's important whether you are a, a plaintiff attorney or a structured settlement broker um, or even a trust officer is to develop uh, partnerships or alliances with people that you have confidence in and that you that you have trust in. We heard in our session earlier today from one of our speakers about about building trust with, with people with credibility and um, skills and, and, and knowledge that can really benefit. And so having a, a network of individuals that you can call and count on, a good structured broker who's going to give you good information and good advice, and financial advisor who's got the interests of the final beneficiary or plaintiff uh, in mind as well as the defendant to get the best deal for everybody so that in the end everybody can win uh, the plaintiff attorney can get the case to close the structured broker uh, has a vehicle that will benefit the plaintiff for their entire lifetime and they've got the benefit of a competent trust or financial professional who can give them advice on an ongoing basis from investment planning to estate planning which are there are many unique needs for that investor class and you know in the end um everybody wins rather than being competing uh, and competing with each other uh, absolutely well, you know you're, you're, you're what you're talking about is a team approach which is really the best way to do it and if you have a good team and you have competent people things things always work out for the best well, that's going to do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. It's been a very interesting topic, and I know uh, coupled with the one we did last time, I think our listeners are going to get a real good feel for uh, the Settlement Trust Arena. 
Uh, I'd like to thank Bill Wakeley for joining me today, uh, my special uh, co-host from Philadelphia. Thank you. And Pleasure, Larry. David Cover again, thank, thank you for joining us again. And, David, if someone wants to reach you, how do they do that? I can be reached by telephone at 717-747-1517 or by email at dcover, that's D-C-O-V-E-R, at peoplesbanknet.com. And, Bill? Uh, our number, Larry, in Philadelphia is 1-800-869-9450. And uh, email always is good, bwakele, B-W-A-K-E-L-E-E, at ringlerassociates.com. Terrific. Remember, you can reach all Ringler Associates at ringlerassociates.com. We're all there. We even have our pictures in there, David, if you can believe that. I want to thank you all for listening. Now go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.